0: This is the Horse Radio Network. Everything sucks, so we're talking to two top equestrians who inspire us with their amazing comeback stories. This week, we're sharing our favorite outerwear options for the colder winter seasons, and we answer the long, puzzling question, why do horses eat sand? Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to to Happy Happy Hour. Hour.
1: I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniakka. Welcome to episode 78 of Heels Down Happy Hour. How's it going, guys? Good. My cat's not pregnant. She's just fat.
2: (laughs) Amazing!
1: I spent all this money. They ultrasound her to tell me she was literally full of poop and fat. Mm,
2: Nice.
0: (laughs) I'm glad you got this out of the way right in the beginning, though. I (laughs) did. I just just
1: wanted, you know, for all those that were worried, I have no more cats, just fat ones.
2: that's actually a really good thing. That's a good thing. Yes, it's very good. This episode is brought to you by Ica Gold. Ica Gold is doing this new special virtual event. And it's really looking at improving back soundness for the performance horse. They're going to keep your performance horses back comfortable and pain-free over time. We all know that can be very tricky. So Ega Gold now invites all of you guys to this free virtual event where professionals will discuss common issues that contribute to the back soreness. Hear from equine veterinarians, a saddle fitter, equine massage therapist, and learn the best practices for fitting a growing horse, how to care for a senior horse's back, and what to do once your horse's back has already become a bit sore. This virtual event is going to be Thursday, November 19th at 3 p.m. Eastern time zone. If you guys want to register here in the U.S., go to bitly slash back soundness and if you're in canada go to the link bit.ly back soundness canada and make sure you guys tune in it's going to be super educational i can't wait we'll post the links and the notes and stuff but you guys definitely need to join in on this
1: so justine i hear you're in a very fun place this week
0: i am so i am in san juan puerto rico as we speak I'm, That's pretty uh, awesome. I know. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I'm quite happy about it. I'm I'm staying with my brother who lives here. He's in the Coast Guard and he lives in this beautiful two-bedroom house, literally right on the beach. Like I walk outside and I'm on the beach in Puerto Rico. So it's been it's been a good week so far, not gonna lie.
2: So I hear Ellie has a drink for you to try if you haven't tried it yet there. Yes. So
1: in lieu of it being post Halloween and pre Christmas season, you got, you have to try Conquito. Do you know what Conquito is?
0: Yes. So I've actually talked to my brother and his friends about it. And it sounds like it's a, it's a Christmas traditional drink, right?
1: Yeah. So it's basically, I learned this from my cousin's wife who's Cuban. So it's basically like eggnog, but instead of egg, it's coconut. So it's like coconut nog. So what I use to make the recipe is use cream of coconut, evaporated milk, coconut milk, and sweetened condensed milk. So it's definitely like, you know, not, it's not a diet drink. Okay. (laughs) But, and then you use white rum, vanilla extract, and cinnamon. And I put a little nutmeg in there too. And then you can garnish it with like cinnamon sticks or nutmeg, whatever, you know, your fancy is. But in Cuba, they actually serve it with coconut ice cream and Spanish people serve it with turon, the candies. So it's, it's cool because like every family kind of has their own, but you basically just blend. It's the easiest drink to make, Justine. And you know how I like easy. So it literally (laughs) is just, you put it all in the blender and then you stick it in the refrigerator and then it's ready to go. That sounds amazing.
0: I mean, I'm going to have to go find a bar that'll make it for me early, I guess, while I'm here.
2: I think yes. you just tell them, like, you're here early. You've got to serve it. Please, please. I told everybody I'd taste it for them, uh, like yeah. in Puerto Rico. I feel like it won't be hard. I feel I don't like know, I can though. find it. Yeah, I think yeah, you bet can. You can. I think you so, can be up for the challenge. Definitely. And I'm
0: not an eggnog person, but I'm all about this coconut substitution. I like this. So
1: this is my this is my ideal drink because it's the perfect combination of Christmas and on an island. So it's basically exactly what you need right now. Yes. This sounds perfect.
0: I'm gonna find
3: You'll have it. to
2: report back. You'll have to report back.
3: I will. I will.
2: So I'm actually here at Tryon for our last show of the season. We're for the four long at Tryon, picked it up. So we're very thankful for that. It's the last event for us. It's the only Olympic qualifier on the East Coast that happened this year. So we're really excited to like be here and hopefully it goes well. And we wrapped up the jumper season last weekend with Split Rock, which I'll talk later in the episode because that was amazing here in Aiken, but Looking forward, I want to talk to you guys because it's kind of interesting. We've talked in the past about how WEC was going to have all these shows, and we were all looking forward to it. But now, the they just tried to they just released that ten of the twelve show seasons are actually going to be held under a different organization. So we're waiting to kind of see what the USCF is doing about it because it's not a normal. I mean, it's an organization that's been created and Ellie, you'd know more about this, but they're actually going to run it under the national snaffle Bit association, the NSBA. So it's normally that organization has been dealing with like pleasure horses, quarter horses, everything else. And they've done a lot with the Roberts family that owns the WEC, but now they're saying, look, we're going to run the shows under the NSBA, NSBA. Yep. And they're going to have a ton of big money classes. Well, that doesn't sound like it's kind of a problem till the FEI, if they don't recognize that organization, which they should, because it's not something that they made up. I mean, Ellie, you've probably been to these shows and I'm sure a lot of our other listeners has, like it's a legit organization, but the FEI has to rec- like recognize it for FEI riders to be able to do it because there is a provision that the USCF could basically like going to say, hey, look, we're not letting these FEI riders ride in it. So it's kind of this weird thing. And we're just waiting to hear because a lot of people are like, look, when it comes, if the FEI says, yes, we can go, they'll sanction the an S- SBA, then great, we'll all go. But if they don't sanction it, then it's basically against what the FEI is regulating for our jumpers and we can't, as FEI riders, ride in it. So it's this whole mass of confusion and we're just going to have to wait and see, but I'm kind of a little, you know, frustrated because I think it would be great to open this up. And, you know, WEC is proud to welcome the hun- the NSBA to the Hunter Jumper world and vice versa. So, I mean, Ellie, you've been to the NSBA shows, right? Yeah, I've been to a couple. I mean, it's, you know, they're
1: trying to expand their Hunter Jumper, you know, section of their association. and. I think that's awesome. And for them to, you know, take on, you know, WEC is huge. And I just, I don't, I'm kind of frustrated as well. It doesn't make sense. FBI yeah, needs so, to
2: get on it. Yeah. I mean, we're going to find out it's, we'll keep you guys posted, but you know, I think it would be great. Like if the USCF doesn't want to recognize WEC shows and, and they have another organization that's willing to expand and they've been wanting to expand and it meets all their guidelines and everything else, then so be it. It kind of sounds like maybe they should open up the doors, but I do know that it's opening up kind of Pandora's box in the sense of it's a conflicting thing with the USCF, and they have a show right down the road as hits, but it's kind of like, look, like, you know, we have schooling shows in Aiken and rated shows in Aiken, and people go to both, so it's kind of, I don't know, it'll be interesting because I would love to go and see it, so we'll keep you guys posted. Well, so the deal with you know, the world
0: of Christian center was that they always, they've marketed this new center in Ocala is that they want it to be accessible to everybody. Right. Yeah. I think, Mm -hmm. I think you bring up a good point, Jess, is that, yes, they want it to be accessible to everybody, but how is that going to affect hits that's been there a long time? Right.
2: Yes. And no, but like, I think with these growing times, like, yes, I do think it's going to affect them, but I think there's a way to come to terms and kind of agree upon it. Like there was, an established show here in Aiken called High Fields, and Bruce's field moved in and they've worked together and both are thriving. You know, they're both doing really well and they're supporting each other and supporting, you know, Aiken itself. And we just had the first two-star in Aiken, the CSI two-star because of Split Rock coming in. And it's everybody coming together and saying look we want to promote Aiken and making it a great place and we had some fantastic riders here in Aiken and it wasn't you know I think it was a little bit same sort of thing at the beginning but instead of butting heads and saying no I'm not going to support it they did the exact opposite and they worked together and in this spring they have dates that kind of mirror each other and try to bring people from Bruce's Field to Highfields and vice versa instead of going against each other.
0: That's, that's a good example. That's really interesting. And I hope that that's the way it works here.
2: Yeah. And I mean, you could just have different shows and stuff. And I mean, it's Aiken's really growing and they didn't make this negative thing about it. And now everybody's so excited. And, you know, you have people from Bruce's over at Highfields and Highfield people at Bruce's and everybody's coexisting and really promoting the town. And it's really become a great place and we've got some awesome shows between the two venues. So I hope that O'Cala can figure it out as well. I mean, in Wellington does the same. I mean, there's lots of places in Wellington that run, you know, multiple events all winter long. So I hope Ocala can figure this out. Agreed. So we'll we'll keep you guys posted. But Ellie, I'm dying to hear what you got to tell us about the sand.
1: Okay. So this was interesting to me because I found this article about a study done in Finland about sand colic. And this is interesting to me because Berkeley has done this a couple times where he's eaten like soil, like he'll eat grass, and then he'll like make a little hole in the ground and actually eat dirt, which I've always thought was a strange thing. And He doesn't do it very often. But this article found that horses actually eat soil and sand because they actually think it's good, like it's yummy, which is interesting to me and doesn't sound appealing at all. But I guess some horses, you know, it tickles their fancy. Um, So they did a study on basically whether or not the sand colic was directly correspondent with the sand accumulation in their stomachs. So they did radiographs to see like what level of sand in their gut made them actually show colicky symptoms and what levels kind of just showed, you know, poor performance. Like maybe they're, you know, missing their high lead changes or they're just not, you know, jumping as well as they used to, um, stuff like that. And they had them look at the different levels of sand in their stomach, which I thought was really interesting. They also showed that Some horses that have actually been muzzled to prevent them from eating sand have actually used their muzzles as shovels to to shovel the sand into their mouths.
2: Actually Um, make it worse, 100%. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I'm like, leave it to horses to figure that out. So they're still trying to to figure out what this means. Like, is it because of seasons where they don't have enough grass? You know, they they looked at it where some horses that had, you know, hay... Left over that didn't, you know, vacuum it up, didn't seem to go after the sand as much. And they're still collecting samples right now to see if it's correlated to like a mineral deficiency. So it's just interesting to know that horses like to eat sand because it's good. You know, tastes good, I guess. They do recommend that, like, obviously prevention is the best course of action. And for horses that, you know, where you're worried about sand colic, avoid feeding on the ground and stuff like that. That's going to encourage them to, you know,
2: eat, you know, extra kernels of grain or whatever that are on the ground. So we have to actually, because we have so much sand in Aiken, it's all sand based basically, When yeah we they have to graze and they end up eating too much that we actually have to feed them a supplement and we've done a lot of research throughout the time being here of which supplement we think is better and stuff like that because some of them kind of strip their stomach lining which isn't great and some of them actually help the cilia just push out the sand and stuff so we actually have to feed it's the one supplement we actually require every horse in our barn to eat or be fed basically and we feed everybody like a sand prevention like it's it's not sand clear or whatever Arenas makes it but it basically promotes Cecilia just to flush out all the sand and not get built up in their stomach and knock on wood. It's worked for us so far but yeah we have to make sure everybody because there's as much as you can we used to feed the hay and water troughs that were empty and like put them in there and they'd pull the hay out of the water trough and put it onto the ground. Yeah, And I'm like, really, that's not helping. Mm -hmm. So at that point we're like, okay, it's just better just to feed this one supplement and be done and maybe that will help because they're, yeah, they like it. They like the sand. They're going to eat it whether they're not. And it doesn't help. Yeah. So so Justine, what about yours? So there was this interesting
0: study out of Sweden that is kind of sad. I'm not going to lie. And they discovered that horses don't love us as much as we love them. Womp womp. So while observing 26 horses and their owners and several other people, like, you know, human, like a human control environment of like barn management of, you know, like people, just basically people interacting with horses. They found that horses consider humans as safe havens in general when they think of humans, but they're not they're not especially attached to any one person over another. So they see humans are like, they're basically soothed by human activity. They understand that humans are the people who feed them and take care of them, but it's not like they have a direct connection to one person over another, which is kind of sad to me. I'm not going to lie. Right. Cause we all have our own heart horse and that we think we have this connection with them. And we probably do to some extent, but not not in the way, they don't experience it in the same way we do, right? Are um, saying
2: Mikey likes Alex just as much as he likes you?
0: That's what these
2: researchers are saying, yeah. <laughs> I bet Alex would disagree.
0: <laughs> I don't know, Alex feeds him more treats than I do, so you know what I mean? It's a toss-up. Uh, yeah,
2: it's a 50-50. But it's really interesting to so- see, like...
0: So they're not like dogs in that they, you know, they, they specifically mention, they compare horses to dogs in this study and they, and they don't bond like dogs do to their owners. So it's, it's not the same sort of, they don't have the same social receptors or expectations in their relationships with humans, which is really interesting.
1: And, you know, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. It's sad, but I so can I'm i not going to let this, yeah, I'm not going to let this upset me because with my horses in my backyard, I am, they're only human. So this I'm going to say that, that- your <laughs> you're that, their yeah. one safe haven. So but I wonder about this in terms of like negative behaviors. So like horses that, you know, know what people, you know, they can kind of push around like Matt's horse. I mean, like if I want to shut the gate, and he wants to go out the gate, he's going to push through the gate if I'm shutting the gate. But if Matt's shutting the gate, he, like, is, like, oh, okay. You know, like, I'll respect you kind of thing. Really? Like, he knows he really can well. kind of push all over me. You know, halflingers, man, they do what they want. But That's <laughs> interesting, though. I just wonder if it's, like, the same kind of thing. Like, if it's. Yeah. If they recognize different people in that respect, like, in terms of, like, you know, like, hi- herd hierarchy or if they you know, just see him as being a stronger person. <laughs> I don't know. That is
0: interesting, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out as they study this more, hopefully. right. So shout out to everyone who's donated to our podcast on Patreon. Uh, we really appreciate your support and every dollar makes a difference in keeping this show on the air. You help us bring all the guests you love to hear on the show on the air. You help us bring you two episodes a month. And we can't wait to continue into 2021 with more exciting guests and more episodes. So if you love this podcast, you should really consider supporting us on Patreon and you can do that by going to Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash heels down. Flare strips are clinically proven to make breathing easier by reducing airway resistance, resulting in reduced E I P H. And if you don't know what E I P H stands for, that's exercise induced pulmonary hemorrhage, which is a silent injury. Essentially all exercising horses experiencing some degree of lung bleeding during intense exercise, but less than 5% of horses show blood at all in their nostrils. If you want to learn more about how flare strips can help with EIPH and other breathing issues, you should visit flare strips.com, which is F L A I R strips.com to learn more about your horse's respiratory system and how flare strips can make breathing easier for your horse. All right. So last time we talked about what our favorite grooming supplies were for the fall season as it started getting cold. But I wanted to ask you guys, especially Jess, I know you don't live in a cold weather place now, but you used to when you were in New Jersey and obviously you do Ellie. Like what are your favorite layering tips for winter as riders? Like what are the, what are the clothing tips that you can't like, what what can you not live without during this upcoming season?
2: During the upcoming season because like even People are going to laugh at me, but I think it even gets a little cold. And so you have to have sort of all these layers between vest. And I love to have like a base layer, which is almost like what you kind of ski in. Like I like the Under Armour, but I try to find one with like a high neck. So it like helps my neck and I, my neck because if my neck gets cold, I will wear a scarf to ride it, no problem. But if I find like a high neck one, I don't feel like I need that scarf. So I try to do like a high neck base layer, and then I do like a vest or something, either thin or thick, whichever I need, and then I do whatever jacket I need on top. So when I was in Jersey, sometimes that meant like me wearing. I would like my. I have my jackets that go all the way down to my knees that are puffy that are like waterproof everything with like a big neck and hood. I have no problem riding in those. I have no shame of being like fully dressed and all of that. Now in Aiken, all I need is like kind of a short coat, whether it's uh like a you know puffy down vest or down jacket or whatever. But lately I've found I get kind of hot in those and I particularly like the North face. I'm sure a bunch of other companies make it, but they make this hybrid one. So it's like mostly puffy, but it's thinner and then it's got breathable stretchy. So I think theirs is like called like a thermal ball or whatever I can, people are interested, just message the Facebook group or whatever, and I can show you the link that I love, but it just is that kind of great layer that when you're riding, you don't get too hot. Cause it still breathes through and everything that is, for me as my top layers, what I cannot live without are, I love winter riding gloves. So not like the super thick ones, but they make the winter ones. Like I personally like Rokal gloves or whatever they fit my little hands and stuff, but they make a winter one. So it really keeps them warm and I can still do everything else without feeling like I'm in a big winter glove. And then for me, I'm obsessed with smart wool makes the wool socks. I only wear wool socks in the winter. I feel like it's the best, but smart wool makes the really thin ones that I can wear under my tall boots still. So between those kind of things, that is like where I'm obsessed with kind of like, that is like my to go go to winter outfit. If somebody saw me, Mm. Ellie, what do you do in the really cold though? Cause I feel you're really cold
1: swear by my carhartt overalls because I can wear my pajamas under them even if I'm wearing like pajama shorts and I'll stay warm if I'm doing horse chores. So those are huge for me. Also just because I like to be in pajamas as much as possible. So that's a plus. We're, in terms of riding, I'm a full chap girl in the winter with fringe. Fringe is a necessity. Uh it helps with uh mm-hmm. You know, it helps keep you warm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the best thing that I have, actually Matt got for me for Christmas one year. So, you know, like Zippo lighters, like just the brand of lighters. They make what's called a deluxe hand warmer pocket heater. And it's like this little, like, I don't know, probably like the size of your palm. And it's a heater and it lasts like eight hours. So you like light it when you get to the barn and I can keep it in my pocket when I ride and stuff. And then I can put my hands in it and it's like, it doesn't lose its heat. Like those, um, you know, hand warmers, the tossable ones and me, I like it. Cause I'm like, okay, I feel like it's better for the environment than like wasting the, you know, hand warmers. So I really like that because it's just like, we all just need to touch something warm every once in a while. And just to hold that is really nice. So I'm really
0: excited to introduce our next guest. Shannon Dueck has brought multiple horses to the international dressage rings. She has represented Canada at the World Equestrian Games, the World Cup Final, the Open European Championships, and the Pan American Games. And she's won an individual silver medal. Shannon Curley works with Carl Hester, uh, and she has a bachelor's degree in animal science and a master's degree in equine nutrition and exercise Uh, physiology. So Shannon, welcome. We're so happy to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. So Shannon, I wanted to ask you, uh, there was this video that came out last month as part of Breast Cancer Awareness Month through SmartPak, where you shared this really compelling personal video with SmartPak, uh, sharing what happened, you know, your, your own diagnosis with breast cancer. And I wanted to ask you, can you tell us more about how you made the dec- uh, decision to have a double mastectomy, especially as a rider and someone who was competing at the top level of the sport? Um,
4: absolutely. And, and I know it is quite personal and I'm very happy to share. And I've been happy to help people who've come through breast cancer since me when they're trying to make their own decisions on how to deal with treatment. But for me, I I had the option to do a double mastectomy and then have much, much less in the aftercare for radiation and for chemotherapy. So that was super important for me because I had a horse that was getting ready to do International Grand Prix and she was good enough to maybe get on the Canadian team. Wow it was really important to me that i that i if i had that option that i didn't have to do all of the treatment afterwards that would have been quite you know can be quite debilitating the surgery could be a a, a faster recovery especially depending on what the how, how i decided that i w- that i would do a if i did implants or not there is a thing that they do with with double mastectomies that they'll take muscle out of your back and put it up and, and regenerate your breasts like that. And that takes a long time to recover from, but I didn't do that. So I was able to basically ride. I still had lats. I had no pecs, but I had lats, so I could ride and triceps. Um, I was going to ask as you I about healed.
1: that. Sorry, I was yes. going to ask you about that, Shannon. You were back in the saddle three weeks after, which is incredible. How did the horses like help you during this time?
4: That was amazing. They, the, I, Robert Dover rode my horses, the two grand, the horses that were like on the cusp of, of Grand Prix while I was recuperating from it. And so they were going, they'd been going and they were going well, of course, because Robert Dover was riding them. And that was really kind of them. When I got on, it was very hard to get on and off because I had no arm strength and I couldn't lift my hands up and, you know, you have no pectorals. Um, So getting on and off was difficult. But once I was on them, I could, you know, get into my core and I could ride. So it was getting off and on that I basically had to be, you know, hauled off and on. And I had the very high mounting block and very careful and help. With that, And I was on too soon. My surgeon was not happy with that. But the horses were, they I think they knew I was a l- weak and a little bit fragile. And, and they were so well-behaved. And I was careful. I was really careful that I wasn't putting them into a situation where they might be spooky or stupid on me.
1: Sounds like life so. happened really fast for you after surgery. In terms of your return to the Grand Prix ring. Can you tell us about your recovery and what you learned from the experience?
4: The recovery, well, probably uh, one of the good things was that I was very fit going into it, into the surgery. So that enabled me to get going again quicker. That was a a good thing, being an athlete. Also, just, we also, as horse people, I don't know, uh, everybody who's listening is probably a horse person, but we all have a high pain tolerance. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, you're not, we generally don't let our pain get in the way of trying doing something that we love to do. So that, that makes a a big difference too. And what I also wanted to say, when you asked me about how I made the decision to do a double mastectomy, I was, I I need this to come out there. I was young, I was premenopausal and usually when it's, when you're young and premenopausal and you're diagnosed with breast cancer, it's fairly aggressive so it was not a difficult decision. I thought that if I hadn't gone that way and my oncologist agreed that um, I was probably looking at having a recurrence in the future. Um, Plus the fact that my mom and my aunt had both been diagnosed with breast cancer. So there was a genetic component. Oh, wow. So then, so then it was, it's not a difficult decision. And for me, especially you know I'm um, yeah it was not a dis- difficult decision for me to to come there it was the mo- most realistic and positive decision that I that I came to but every person every woman or man men have this too rare but it does happen everybody has to come to their own decision on how they're going to come around their treatment. I think that is an amazing thing. I don't always agree with the American healthcare system, but I think that's an amazing thing of the American healthcare system that with education, you can kind of decide your own treatment.
2: You're allowed to kind of pick your own path. Absolutely. I would love to kind Uh, of pick your brain about not uh, you know kind of switching past, kind of talking more about your horses and like I know you've brought along a ton at the Grand Prix level I'd love for you to kind of talk to us about that process and kind of just what it takes to bring them up either you know financially what it takes all of you know all the kind of details breaking apart that
4: oh god <laughs> well <I know>. that though <laughs> that's like and that's an hour's worth of the show right but um, financially <laughs> fin- it, yeah, it's really hard. I I've had I brought up horses that were not owned by me to Grand Prix, and that's a, that's difficult because when they're not owned by you, you can't decide when they go to their next home, and that's a problem that so many professionals have. Is they you put your heart and soul into bringing a horse up to the levels, and it and if they get sold, that's a very difficult thing. So I've always made a commitment to having my own horses that I will bring, and then I can make the decision if I ever want to sell them. And most of the time I can't sell them because I love them so much, but then it is my decision. So I, I do love that, but it is very expensive. So when I, I'm, I'm not sponsored and I'm not from a wealthy family. So I work really hard and to pay for a couple of horses that I can bring up the level. So financially it's a huge thing and I wish I had more money so that I could do every single therapy and that was out there possible but I do what I can. And then it's they're so interesting. Every single horse that I bring along is of course different and they have different strengths and different weaknesses and as a rider we have different strengths and weaknesses. I know what I'm really good at and I know what I'm not as as strong at, or I'm, <laughs> i I learn all the time what I need to get better at. But with each horse that I bring along, I am, oh, I learn something more about how to deal with an individual, an individual in, in how they can use their bodies. Because when we're really talking about Grand Prix, we're getting them to use their bodies like a gymnast. It's not about doing tricks. It's about being that dance partner. And, and they're, like I said, right now, I have um, a horse that I've never had before. He's big and he's strong and he's powerful and he's cadenced, but he's a little bit more slow twitch than I'm used to. So I'm trying to figure out how to bring him up to this level and make him a little bit more fast twitch. All those strengths that he has are amazing, but I have to
2: figure, I'm learning while I'm teaching this horse. So it's, it's an amazing journey. It's a long journey that we all go through, but it's, it is still very, very incredible. So. on each horse is so new, right? Right. It's everything yeah. is brand new. Every time you yeah. start with, and they teach us the so cool, much through the process. They
4: te- Every single one. And I think there's a psychological teaching that we learn too. As I get older, I'm, I'm definitely better. Dealing with the the psychological aspect of training the horses, but I have to say the coolest thing I'm doing now, the best thing, Asia, who was the first mare that I trained to Grand Prix, she was a spectacular mare, but she was really hot and really a little scared. She she never really enjoyed being in a big ring. It was if she ever did it for me, it was because she did it for me, not because she liked being in the big ring. I. Have her filly, who's five years old.
2: Oh, that's exciting!
4: Oh my God, it's the most amazing thing to have Aisha's baby doing the same thing, and she's so talented. She's not doesn't have the same fear of big, big things. There's probably a difference in the upbringing, I think, and obviously genetics. But she's braver than Aisha was, and more talented than Aisha was. And it's so, but I can see all these things that I loved about Asia are come out in her every single day. it's it's amazing to have this as a has I think she'll probably be my last international Grand Prix horse i think after after her, I might be ready to go and you know sit on a boat in a in the Caribbean see what's something. next, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: but that's so exciting. Thank you so much for coming on. That was awesome and we really really appreciate it so thank you
0: with saddles for every discipline and confirmation and prices starting at a thousand four hundred and ninety nine dollars there is an arena saddle that is perfect for you it's perfect for training at the barn or competing in any ring you will appreciate the balance and supportive seat the arena saddles offer for flat and over fences work I actually own an arena saddles saddle myself, and I love it. It's beautiful. It's comfortable. It's practical. And it's just perfect for everything that I need to do. Visit arenasaddles.com. arena saddles.com. That's a R E N a saddles.com for more information.
2: I am super excited to introduce our next guest. It is Justine Dutton. She is a British eventer, now turned show jumper, who is based out of her farm, Notting Hill Stables in Ocala, Florida. Justine imports, trains, and sells British bred horses. She has competed the advanced level of eventing and now currently competes in the Grand Prix level in show jumping. Welcome, Justine. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. I just saw you and for everybody that's listening, I just saw Justine this past weekend in Aiken. I think it was your first time in Aiken, right? It was my first time at Bruce's Field. I've invented in Aiken at Stableview
3: before, but it was my first time at Bruce's Field,
2: yeah. So I we compete a bunch at Bruce's Field through the eventing, through the show jumping, all of this. But what Split Rock did, I have to I was super impressed. We were blown away with what they did. What was your experience there?
3: Oh, we loved it. It was an amazing show. I mean, I've been to quite a lot of different shows everywhere. And I mean, they just went the extra mile with
2: everything. It was um, top notch you know, everything.
3: It really was like from the videography, like around the ring and everyone's rounds were kind of, you could watch everything around live and you could like watch your video after for free so you didn't have to pay for any kind of video and they even encouraged you to screen record it too, so you could keep it and just the ribbons were like 10 feet long and you know the uh, uh, presentations they required the top eight in every class to be present for a presentation and then a live honor and it they just made
2: a really big deal of that out of it and i mean
3: i thought it was a really 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 great show
2: Uh, We were super impressed. This was our first split rock show we've ever been to. And all of our owner, like our owner, we had a couple owners there. We had clients there. Like it just was over the top and it made you feel special. You had to wear a coat, you had to wear white breeches. And which I'm like going through my closet, going, I really hope I have white breeches that fit still because (laughs) I was a little kind of concerned about that. Not going to lie, if my jacket or breeches (laughs) were going to fit because I'd been doing just the jumpers a bit and not that big. And, you know, after having two kids and all this, I was like, I really hope my clothes fit in this place.
0: Yes, you're so funny. I would lie.
2: It was over the top,
3: but not in an obnoxious, no, Like not in a, it sort made you of feel like,
2: yeah, everyone was super nice as well. No. And just, I mean, the way like you go, it just, it felt very organized. It felt very, in yes. a great way. Like it was not over the top, but yep. it made you feel special to go and like. Even if you were doing the 0.85s, like you got to wear your show coat and your white breeches, which most people aren't terrified to put on their white breeches after having two kids like I was. But most people would think, (laughs) okay, this is great, which in the end, I still was excited to like put on white breeches again and put on a show coat and, you know, feel special. And I wasn't doing any big classes. I was just doing like, you know, like I did a couple 110s, but it still made you feel that special you know, yeah, kind of prestige without making it that. You know, like it wasn't like hoity toity right. or anything like that. It just gave that special feel, yeah. and yeah, the fact they videoed, there were photographers everywhere, everywhere. Right. So there's so many right. pictures. You feel like, you know, and it's exciting. You get all the pictures taken, and yeah. you get to like scroll through, and it just oh, mm-hmm. they went over the top, and I was so thrilled. Like I'm so excited. Like. All of, I think we will be going to so many split rock shows because of that and good for them because oh, we will they too. did an amazing <laughs> job. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, they, I think they got a lot of business from everybody because it was, it was super exciting. So we will yeah, we'll switch gears here back. and yeah, it was great. And so I was, I was super excited. So, but I do want to go back to kind of, a couple years ago and a little bit past like kind of have you I know you talk a little bit openly about it and stuff but how you kind of yeah. you came to this country you were a big show jumper I mean sorry big eventer kind of switching to show yeah. jumping was not really what you saw happening tell us about I know you know you had a really bad fall at Great Meadow and how did that kind of change yeah. your mindset
3: I mean I'd always liked show jumping and I'd always been to jumper shows kind of you know, when I could while I was eventing, but, you know, only sort of the odd time when I could really. It wasn't sort of a staple in the schedule or anything. But yeah, after my fall, you know, I just kind of didn't really love the cross country anymore and it sort of took me a year to come to that conclusion. I mean I ran up through Intermediate and Three Star again and actually did really well. Won a few events, um but, you know, it was at the point where I was just miserable on cross-country day. Just didn't want to do it. And it just took quite a long time for me to admit to myself that I didn't want to do it as well. I mean, I I really wanted to want to do it, if, it, if that makes sense. Um, but I just couldn't quite get there. And, uh, you know, I sort of
2: transitioned over and uh, yeah, I've never really looked back since. So how, you know, you talk about how scared, you know basically you didn't want to admit to yourself like obviously a little bit of it was like a confidence thing how did you end up getting your confidence back like did the show jumping help it did the cross-country help it like what in you know just getting back in it what made you get your confidence back yeah I mean definitely the show jumping I mean
3: I was always more confident to jump big yeah. show jumps than cross-country jumps so and I always was lucky enough to have good horses to sit on you know I have my old advanced horse so I could kind of sit on and get confidence on and the sale horses that we had you know we imported them for amateurs so they were really ideal for me to be kind of sitting on and jumping and stuff so um yeah I think it was just kind of getting back on and and going at my own pace too you know taking the pressure off and not being like okay I have to go back to advanced or I have to go back to this or that I sort of kind of I rode with Clayton Fredericks and um he was very good about kind of just, you know, letting me go at my own pace. And, you know, first couple of times I went out cross country at an event, you know, I kind of say to him, I want to just go through the water first over the training level jump and then come back to the prelim or whatever, because I had my fall at a water jump. Um, Yeah. And, you know, he was like, whatever you need to do is totally fine. There was no (laughs) kind of, no, you cannot do that.
2: You had that support system that was super, you know, positive and everything else. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, Justine, what was it like switching disciplines? I mean, obviously, eventing to show jumping isn't all that different. You're already doing a stadium round when you were a venter, but was there anything that you learned that was different, or what? You know how how did that help you? I guess kind of find your find your groove or get you back into where you felt confident and happy when you were riding.
3: I mean, like I said, I show jumped with it anyway, so it wasn't
5: too
0: right.
3: hard to kind of just do it more. And I'd spent quite a, like some time at Venice in South Florida here and there. Um, so I kind of met some people down there. So I wasn't, it wasn't kind of like jumping in totally cold. Sure. And, um, yeah, I guess I just kind of, you know, spent some time and met some people and, you know, just, we bought a pretty experienced older Grand Prix horse in the UK, um, for me, just uh, I syndicated it because I wanted something kind of to learn the ropes of the bigger tracks, um, but something that knew its job so I could kind of, you know, make mistakes or whatever. And um, yeah, he's been an absolute godsend. He's been one of the best horses we've ever had. So we've been lucky yeah. to have him. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think the transition was pretty straightforward really and i mean everyone's really very nice i mean there's this stigma kind of attached like the people in the hunter jumper world at, you know not very not necessarily kind of as friendly as the event is and i've really not found that honestly i mean everyone i've met has been very nice and welcoming and helpful you know Hmm.
1: glad to hear it what are your plans yeah. for next year justine with the show jumping um well, I have Ravello, my big horse, so I'm
3: going to, you know, just keep getting miles in the um, American and maybe the National Standard Grand Prix. Then I have um, a couple others. I have a little fifteen two that just started jumping some Grand Prix. Um, so he'll sort of follow along. And then I have a really cool uh, horse named Hickory that we've just syndicated that's quite special He's just moved up to the 130s. So, you know, we'll keep kind of going along with him. And then I have a really, really special five year old. I guess he'll be six next year. So he'll do the young jumpers stuff. He did the five year olds this year. And I'm actually just picked up today the ride on uh, Rowan Willis's Averse W horse that's won Bruce Meadows twice.
2: Oh, you're going to talk about it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I didn't so know if you were <laughs> gonna say. I didn't want to say anything.
3: <laughs> no, we literally just picked him up today, and he's standing in the barn as we speak.
2: Yay! So, um, oh, so you have to tell all of our listeners all about him because I didn't want to ask because <laughs> I knew it was kind of a secret. So perfect. Yeah.
3: No, I'm gonna basically lease him for the winter. Rowan and the his owner, Diner, have been very, very, very kind to let me do that and give me that opportunity to get some mileage. Um, yeah, he's won at Spruce Meadows twice. He's won at Washington. Uh, he's jumped to 160. I
2: think he's won some puissance. <laughs> so he's a very experienced horse. Our listeners so will have to Google him. Game. He's a super cool horse, and I cannot wait to see Justine on him because he is... <laughs> I can't wait because it's going to be cool. Like you get to see like, and do some cool stuff with them. And, you know, it's always great yeah. to find that horse to show you the ropes.
3: Oh, for sure. And, you know, it'll help me ride the others better. And, you know, I've been yeah. obviously learning on the velo, but, you know, to be able to go around again, that same kind of track would be really helpful. Exactly. Um, no, I mean, the then more you can I'm, do it. Yeah, for sure. And I ride with Rowan as well, which is You know, it's basically how it all worked out. But, you know, so he'll be able to coach me on the horse. And, you know, he obviously has ridden the horse for a really long time. So he knows it inside out.
2: Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm super excited. And we will have to keep following you and have all of our listeners follow you with a new kind of string of show jumpers and everything. All the way from (laughs) the babies up to the big guys. So we wish the best. Yeah. Yeah.
3: No, I'm definitely enjoying it. I have a good time, and and we see I
2: see more and more eventers at the jumper show. <laughs> it's coming, it's coming out. Most people are, you know, slowly trickling in, yeah. so it's good. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, guys,
1: it's that time. It's Rose and Thorn time, and I'm super excited to introduce our listener to join us this week. She's known for being everybody's horse show mom. She's a Patreon donor, and she cooked me in her womb. My mom's here. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Hi. Hi, Mom. Hi, Joyce. Thank you for hello. joining us. Hello,
2: hello. All
0: right. Well, before we start, Rose and Thorn, I feel like I, I can't not ask you this, but I need a really good embarrassing story about Ellie, please, if you have one.
5: Uh, I, I do. Um, unfortunately, Ellie didn't have a lot of control over this one, because
3: she was very, very young when it happened. So
5: um, Ellie was actually a preemie baby. So she was born um, about seven and a half weeks before she was supposed to. So I cooked her, but not as long as I was supposed to. Um, and it was kind of a big surprise. So we went to the hospital. She was, um, you know, in the preemie, in the um, NIC ICU, and they had to, you know, watch her and take care of her. And, you know, we were thinking a couple of weeks, she actually was a little over five pounds. So she wasn't that Um, small at birth and they called us and said, okay, tomorrow you can take her home. You're all set. She's been doing great. You know, she can, you, you can bring her home. So we got all ready. We got everything, you know, to go to the hospital, went to go pick her up. And they said, oh, you know what? Sorry, you can't bring her home today because like something happened last night and she stopped breathing. And so we've got to watch her for a whole nother week.
4: Oh my gosh.
5: I really swear it is. So they said, she stopped breathing. So we're panicking, you know, young parents were panicking. And very worried about it. And then we go, you know, we, we're visiting her and everything like that. And the week goes by, nothing has happened again. And we get there and the head nurse pulls us over and she goes, you know, we're really sorry about the whole week thing. Sometimes they move their leads that are connected to the machine. We think she just farted. <laughs> they literally said that she farted so much that it's unconnected. <laughs> That we're showing her. I can't. Her bumps on the the (laughs) machine. Ellie, it all makes sense.
0: It all makes sense. Just the tone for the rest of your life, Ellie. Absolutely.
5: Absolutely. High maintenance from Uh, the beginning.
0: I love it. Oh my gosh. That is so funny. (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) All right, Joyce. You started that way. (laughs) <laughs> Do you want to go first with Rose and Thorn? I will try. I will try. Okay.
5: Um, my rose this week is, I live in Connecticut, which is not quite as cold as where it lives. Um, but it usually is this time of year, it's November. It's usually, you know, 30s, 40s at night, if you're lucky, maybe 30s. And, you know, chilly, 40, 35, 40 during the day. This week, beautiful. 70s, 50s, and 60s at night. It's gorgeous. Everybody's bathing their horse. It's beautiful. Awesome riding riding weather. So my rose is that the weather is just fabulous for riding. It's just gorgeous outside. Very bizarre for this time of year in November when you expect it to be cold and freezing outside.
0: Ooh, that sounds
5: great. However, yep, but that leads to my thorn. So my thorn is that I happen to decide to go back and get a second master's degree after my kids went away to school all of them left the house and I signed up for the most difficult class in the entire program this fall because it's fall and it's supposed to be freezing and cold and you're not supposed to go outside and you're supposed to sit in your house and it gets dark at four thirty. and this week I literally have been in the house almost every it's gorgeous haven't ridden my horse since last Friday
2: that's my thorn oh man Wow. I can definitely be a huge thorn.
5: <laughs> I did take tomorrow's Veterans Day. I do get the day off, so I'm planning on riding in the morning. But Oh, there God. you go. It's very, all yeah. my friends are pressing press the thorn, it's great, are you coming? I'm like, no, I'm going to be on my computer working on my program.
0: <laughs> oh, geez. What about you, Ellie? What's your rose and thorn?
1: Oh, man. So my thorn is a big thorn that my mom already knows about because I called her because I was angry so I was driving home from work, and I was like, "Huh, that's weird." Like, I didn't have as much friction when I was trying to uh, stop my truck. Then I, you know, I have the speed limit's like fifty-five, and I'm going, and I have to brake, and I'm pedal to the floor. I have no brakes, so no. I'm like, "Oh, so this is fun." I was actually on the phone with the horseback riding client at the time. And I said, I'm going to have to call you back because I don't have any breaks. And so I was, I mean, nothing happened. I was able to go uphill and kind of pull off, but I had to wait for AAA and all that fun stuff. Except Matt wasn't home. He was at a business meeting. Uh, So I had to call uh, my client to come pick me up and take me home. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't have any friends in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Can somebody give me a ride home. So I'm looking at about a $2,000 bill, which, yay. Ugh. not excited. Mm. No. But my, my rose is that I actually, which I never do, I used Berkeley for lessons this past week. Um, so I let two of my clients ride him to kind of, you know, just goof off and be able to work on themselves. Um, and they jumped him and he was an angel, which was was. a proud, a proud mom moment for me because he's perfect in my eyes, but it's good when he's perfect for other people too. (laughs) What about you, Justine, other than being in Puerto Rico?
0: Well, so that's definitely my rose so I'm in Puerto Rico where my, with my brother and my brother is getting married next week. Yeah. So I'm here with him for now. And then we, we fly back to Florida together and then get ready for his wedding. So it's nice to be able to spend some more time with him. So that's definitely my rose. My thorn is that we've got a, dang last minute end of the season hurricane. That's just like totally soaking Florida right now. (laughs) So luckily I'm not home while it's happening, but, um, you know, it's just sort of like dragging out. It's like a very slow moving storm. So I'm hoping it's like gone and don't have to worry about it by the end of the week. And obviously it'll be gone before my brother's wedding, but geez, I'm just so tired of the season. It's been a very active hurricane season. So I'm just, ready for it to be over. That's my thorn. What about you, Jess?
2: So my thorn is we've been building this farm and it's usually my rows and everything else, but we thought we would be in, but like COVID keeps happening. Everything keeps happening. So long story short, there was like another subcontractor that got delayed because they're forgot COVID. So they're like, well, we probably can have you in like first or second week of december but to move everything first or second week of december to be back here january 1 now just seems dumb so yeah yeah, so now we're staying put naked which yes the farm will be done but we don't get we'll move in like kind of remotely again but that's my thorn just because it sucks like i was really looking forward to being in we were supposed to be in next week but it's been like crunch time it's just not gonna happen so we just pulled the plug and said not gonna happen so that's really annoying and definitely my thorn of probably the last couple weeks for sure and so that's kind of depressing but my rose is that we've had a great show season and we're hopefully gonna wrap up this and we're at the last show of the season and then kind of kind of you know just Take a breather because we've been going full swing since kind of COVID, pre post COVID. So, or during COVID, I mean, I guess we're not out of COVID yet. But yeah, my rose is that we're finally wrapping up to the last show of the season.
0: Yeah, it's crazy to think about it. this crazy year is almost over. Gosh, I can't.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure that's a rose we're throwing. <laughs> but <laughs> hey, Wait, I think it's just going to continue on. <laughs> well, absolutely. I know. 2020.
0: I know. So. We're not out of it yet, that's for sure. Well, Joyce, thanks
2: for coming on.
0: I
1: know. Uh, You're very welcome.
5: (laughs) It's great to be included. Love Thanks, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime, (laughs) dear.
2: So it's mailbag time, and I have a really interesting one that I'd love to kind of pick Justine's brain about. Ariana in the Facebook group wrote this thing. This article that basically she talks about, she has a green bean that's really excitable off the property, including a really recent violent spook that damaged her confidence. Would sending him to training help calm him down when away from home? And so for me, like as a trainer, obviously like that's what we do is we get kind of the problems in and we help fix it, but I'd love to hear from like an amateur's you know, Justine, what do you think? You have horses that have been in full training, off training, like all of the above. What is kind of your advice for? Her? Yeah, this is a
0: tough one because I really think it depends on your situation, Ariana. Like for, for me, if if I got dumped real bad or dumped real bad a couple of times, I, absolutely, I would send the horse off for training. But I really think... Maybe I would need to be involved in that training too, because I I know it would take me a minute to want to get back on that horse, right? After I've been dumped a couple of times or maybe I got hurt. Because the horse can get all the training in the world. So you send him away for 90 days and he's doing great with the trainer, but that doesn't mean he's gonna be, you know, equipped to handle me as an amateur who's not gonna ride him as successfully as a trainer would, right? So maybe. Maybe if you're going to send them away, make sure you're going to put them in a program where you can come and take a lesson once a week from the trainer who's putting the miles on him so you can be learning with your horse. So by the time that training period is over, say 90 days, both of you feel confident, both you and your horse, um, so you know where to go next. Uh, so, I, I mean, that would be my suggestion. It, it just really depends on how you feel after after your confidence being shaken. I mean, Ellie, do you have any suggestions?
1: Well, I'm actually working with a client who had a similar situation and I just got her into leasing, you know, a really safe sound horse to build her confidence back up on while she's listening on the horse and the horses in training with me. I think that that's also a good thing. You know, I think people sometimes are like, I'm cheating on my horse because I'm riding another horse, but it's really good for not only your confidence, but your strength to work ride a different horse. Um, especially if you're going to have a horse gone in training and you're not going to be riding it as much.
0: I think that's a good idea too. Like you want to get your confidence back, like feel, feel solid and actually enjoy why you like to ride again. Right?
2: No, Absolutely.
0: So if you have a question for us and you want us to answer it on air, you can send us an email at hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Or you can join our Facebook group, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. And if you want to hear more from us, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Brief, which is our daily email news blast. You can do that by going to bit.ly slash hdbrief. And we want to say thank you to all our partners this week EcoGold, Arena Saddles, and Flare Strips. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers.
1: Cheers.